Good morning. How are you guys doing today? You had a good weekend? Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Hey, my name is Jason. Uh, welcome to Portico Church Arlington. As Pastor Johnny Reeves said, we want you to feel welcome. Uh, this may be your first Sunday here. You might be a Christian. You might have never even considered the idea that there is a God uh, who wants to have a relationship with you. Or maybe you don't believe in God. I want you to know that you're welcome here. Um, this should feel like a family reunion. Uh, where God's people are together, but we are also students. We are learning from him, and he speaks to us through his word. So like Pastor Johnny said, um, I encourage you to participate, to engage the word as it's engaging you, uh, and see where God might take you. But you need to feel welcome here today. Um, we are out of Ecclesiastes. Can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's not going to be that far away. Uh, but we're in First John, so we're excited about that. This is our second week. Pastor Steve Reed did a fantastic job uh, last week of getting us started in that as the book started. Um, today we're going to talk about something we don't talk about much, which is confession and what that means. But I will tell you this, all the guys, well, most of the guys are going to know what I mean when I say this. When it comes to a modern-day confessional, uh, it's, it's probably the barber chair for men. Um, when you go into a barber shop, I mean a barber shop, like the spiral pole, just dudes, dudes cutting dudes hair, you'll hear stuff in there you're never going to hear anywhere else. In fact, we don't let women in there. To, it's scary, right? So this kind of a modern day confessional. I was getting my hair cut last week and uh, my, the guy who cuts my hair, Habib, is a great dude and just he's really fun. And we were talking about this other guy that was sitting there because we do that in front of other men and we just talk about you right there. Uh, and I was like, you know, he, he cut my hair once. He, he told me that he got in a car wreck and hurt his hand. I know he's lying. I know it was like, he's a street fighter, isn't he? Habib was like, yeah, how do you know that? I'm like, look at him. He just sits there and looks tough. He's humble. He's quiet. I just know he can beat everybody up in the room. He's like, actually, he's, you're right. I wasn't a car wreck. It was a street fight. So we started, it was like a modern day confessional. And I, I just, it just reminded me that, um, you, you know, it breeds confidence, ability. He has the ability to pretty much take down anybody he wants because, I don't know, he's just that guy. Some guys are lovers. Some guys are fighters. He was a fighter. Uh, and so he just had that confidence as he sat there, and I could read it on him. Um, as we come out of Ecclesiastes, it is pretty much strip all of your confidence. What Ecclesiastes meant to do was destroy any confidence that you have in things that are passing and temporary. It completely deconstructs things that you hold on to they're perishing. Now, as we walk into 1 John, what it is going to do is going to rebuild confidence in your life in things that matter and things that last. So that's where we're at. But think about the decisions that you make, because this is where you're going to see it. And one thing that I have learned, I'm not a street fighter, but one of the... Why is that funny? <laughs> hmm, okay. Uh, one of the things that I've learned as God has matured me is uncertainty and conflict don't go away. It gets worse. Can I say that? Uh, you're never going to find a part of your life or a season of your life where you're not making decisions in the gray. And here's what I can tell you. The hardest decisions that you're going to make, you're never going to have enough information and you will feel like you're walking in the gray walking in the fog. So if you don't have your confidence anchored to the correct thing, in fact, if you anchor your confidence to your own ability, it's not going to end well. 
So first John takes us there. It's building confidence in what matters. So as we jump into the book, and I know that Pastor Steve Reed did a little bit of this last week, but we're gonna, I'm gonna do this as well. I want to introduce you to the man who wrote this book. Uh, so it's first John. He is the author. This is John, the beloved disciple. This is the disciple that walked with Jesus for three years. He's the author of this. Now, a little bit about him, because if we're going to understand God's word, we need to understand the agent it came through. Now, John was in the inner circle of Jesus. He rolled with him. He was on the scene with him the entire time. In fact, he was called the beloved disciple. He's in the inner circle. He stood at the foot of the cross. He was there when Jesus was crucified. In fact, if you remember, I think it's in John 19, where Jesus looks at his mom, Mary, and says, uh, behold, woman, your son, points to John, and John, behold, your mom. You're going to take care of my mom, because I'm not going to be here anymore. So this is the kind of relationship that John had with Jesus. He was there at the risen, at the tomb, at the empty tomb on Easter morning. He shows up with Peter as Mary Magdalene comes back and says, he's gone. I've seen him. He's not in the tomb anymore. Now, as he's writing this, he, this is years past, probably way at the end of the first century, maybe even close to 90 AD. He is an elder statesman of the faith. So he's an old dude, and he's speaking to a young church. So who is his audience? We need to know that if we understand well this book. He's speaking to churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. What we should know about that is that in the beginning, the church is mostly Jewish Christians who are receiving Jesus as the Messiah. As the gospel spread, as we learned in Acts several months ago, it went into areas that had never even had any concept of Yahweh or God or Jesus at all. So it's up in Asia Minor, and so the churches are very diverse. So the family reunion up there on the Lord's Day looked very diverse, and he's speaking into this probably um, just you know that there's always more difficulty in churches when they're diverse. They just are. Uh, but it's good because God's glory is shown off. Here's what was going on. Here's why he's writing. Some in the church were de- denying the divinity of Christ, and some were denying the humanity of Christ, saying, no, he was... So you see this going on. No, Jesus wasn't fully human, or Jesus wasn't fully God. So John is writing into this situation, and here's what he wants to give them. He doesn't even, he doesn't even deal with the issue much. He's like, here's what you need. You need assurance. You need confidence. And you need confidence that exceeds what you can do. And what you have. So he's speaking into them. And he's going to give them assurance. In fact, um, we're going to pop up a graphic. This is what the whole book is about. And it's circular. It's not linear. He keeps going back to light and love and assurance all the time. So this is what God means for you to have as we walk through this series. He wants you to have assurance and confidence in who you are in Christ. What it means that, as John says, you are a beloved child of the living God. So this is what we want, assurance. And you see the three edges of this graphic here? This is how we get that. We get it through confession. We confess Christ and we confess sin. You can't have one without the other. As we do that, we build assurance. We see love. We'll see this over and over and over again. How we love one another. How we live in the context of family. With people maybe we have nothing in common with. We'll give you assurance. And how's, we, and how's we obey God? As we actually walk out his commands in our life. If he's going to be Lord, he needs to be Lord. So as we do that, all under the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit, or the presence of God in our lives, all in the family of God with others who are walking this out with us, as we do this, we get internal insurance. 
this, this doesn't come down from heaven. It, we walk this out together. So confession, love, and obedience, you're going to see that as we walk through this book. So as we start, as we get in it to today, um, where is your confidence? Especially in seasons of uncertainty, when you don't know what to do. Let me flip that question around and look at the other side of that. Is the way you're living your life, how you're walking out your life, as the text is going to get us to, is that telling people that God is absolutely trustworthy? If someone looked at your life or if someone looked at my life and how I'm living that out, especially in difficult circumstances, would they say of us, oh, yes, God is trustworthy? Or are we living in a way that seems like maybe God isn't trusted with us? Maybe, maybe he can't be trusted all the way. That question is going to come to us today. Now, last week we saw Jesus in the flesh. He showed up. This week we're going to see Jesus introduce us to God the Father. So we're going to go there. Um, I'm going to read this text. It's, we're going to just pick up where we left off last week. We're just getting started. It's an introduction. We're going to be chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to take it through verse 10. We'll put it up on the screen for you to read along. All right? Here we go. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you That in yourself, your glory is so magnificent and radiant and secure. That you reveal yourself to us through your word in the midst of a conflict where you were being doubted. We struggle with confidence. We struggle with assurance. We struggle with knowing what we know. So as we look into your word this morning, we ask that you would open it up, that we may behold its treasure, Lord. Would you do that for us? That we may walk away never the same, knowing you fully. In the name of Jesus, amen. So John is calling his church to walk in the light. Sounds good, sounds religious, sounds Christian. Walk in the light. Why? Because God is light. What does that even mean? So what we're going to do today, this is it. I want us to see what does it mean that God is light? We have to start there. And what does it mean for you and I to walk in the light? What does that mean? It's actually really practical. When you, you hear that term, God is light and we should walk in the light as he walked in the light, it sounds just horribly abstract and just way out there. It's not. It's extremely practical. 
It's how we think. God is giving us something to digest. We can only walk it out in his power, but it's not that hard to understand. So we're being called to walk in God's light. And it's very simple. If we're going to walk in God's light, the text is going to teach us and show us that first, we have to let it have primacy, right? We have to let God's light define what is good in our lives. So there's a definition there. Secondly, we have to let it direct our desire. Now, that's the problem with desire. Like, I don't control what I love many times, right? I I love what I love. But we're going to let God's light, because it invades and it's powerful, direct our desire. And this is what's so important. God's light destroys darkness. Destroys, it, it just, it wastes darkness. You and I don't have that kind of power. So this is very important. So let's jump right in. Walking in God's light is letting it. Right? Letting it define good. So let's, let's start there. Now, Jesus came that we might know God. This is what we learned last week. And John, this, John the disciple who's writing this epistle or this letter to the church says, hey, listen, I've seen him. I've looked upon him. I've touched him. This is a biography of the life of Christ. In fact, he is the word of life and he's been made manifest. We've seen him and we're going to bring this word to you. So it's, it, he came that we might know God. Now, verse 5, it's very important because he says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So this Jesus, we just didn't listen to him. He has a message for us. We're going to proclaim to you what we heard from him. And he makes one statement. And then he, the rest of this uh, verse, he unpacks it. And he says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, before we understand what it means that God is light, and we'll get there, we have to understand the context. If you try to understand scripture outside of the context, in other words, if you just take a verse out of the Bible and put it on a magnet on your refrigerator, on a coffee cup, it doesn't, it's really difficult to understand what it means. You'll misapply it every time. So if we're going to understand what God is, that God, God is like, we have to understand this. This is about fellowship. John has one goal, that we have fellowship with God. He uses that word four times in the first 10 verses. So the goal here in 1 John especially in the introduction, is that you would know God and be known personally by him. That you would personally know God and be known by him. So the context is fellowship. In fact, partnership. Um, Faith should give you a partnership in the life of God. This is what's happening here. So that will help us better understand what he means by light. Think of it this way. Um, We need to understand that God is light. We know that God is love. He says it later. Um, but we have to understand what he means by God is light because relationships depend on introduction. This is an introduction. Uh, imagine, I've seen this actually happen before. Imagine if you're a dude and, and you like, like this girl and, uh, you know, you just haven't got the will up to ask her out yet. And she should, you, you run into her somewhere at the coffee shop and she's like, oh, let me introduce you to, to, um, Fred. But that's it. That's where it stops. And then he finally gets the nerve up to ask her out. She's like, mm, this is awkward. Fred's my fiance. Right? That could happen. This happens where if you don't understand the position of the relationship, you are going to make a horrible and awkward mistake. So what John is doing is introducing us to God. He is light. To have a relationship with him, we need to understand who he is and what he's about. So God is light. Now, light is a controlling metaphor in the entire Bible. 
It's, in fact, it shows up in the first chapter of the Bible and the last chapter of the Bible. In Genesis 1-3, we see that God said, let there be light. So he's, he creates light. And as we get to the end of the Bible in Revelation 22, we see uh, in verse 5 that there's no need for light anymore because God's radiance is sufficient. So light is kind of a controlling metaphor, um, and it, it best describes God. So let's just walk through this. God is light. What does that mean? Here's a few things that we can know of when we think of God as light. First, he's the source and he's the sustainer of life. Just, it's a metaphor, so let's use it. Uh, there, no light is no life. If you've ever lived in Alaska when the sun comes out for like 20 minutes a day, you know what I'm talking about. Life depends on light. So God here is not just the light. He is the source of light. He creates it and he sustains light. So it's, it's, it's an ontological statement of God's being. He is the source and sustainer of light and of life. So this is who he is. Second, he's holy. So this should give us a relational understanding of who God is. He is holy in two ways. One, in position. He is, like the Bible describes, most high or set above us. He's holy. Uh, But also in his, um, I don't know, his character. His character. God is perfect in character. There's no deficiency in him. So when we say God is light, um, we're thinking about his holiness. And lastly, his eth- it's ethical. So God is the absolute standard of moral beauty and truth. So when we hear God is light, um, we are to understand this. Everything that is good, that is true, that is valuable, that is beautiful, and that is lasting is embodied in the person of God. God is light. There's no darkness in him whatsoever. So it's not just in the positive end. He ends that first part with, there is no darkness in him whatsoever. There's, you don't drink water that has maybe 1% lead in it. You don't do it. Right? Corruption matters. So in God, in his person, there's no darkness in him whatsoever. So what does that mean for you if you want to have a relationship with him? Here's what that means. You can absolutely trust his word. You can absolutely trust him personally because God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. So if you want to have fellowship with God, two things you must know if we're to understand that God is light, if he's going to define good for us. One is this, and this is so good. There's no dissonance in God at all. There's no dissonance between who God is and what God says and what God does. I can't even trust my own word if I'm honest. And it matters to us. What you say and what you do clearly matters to us. Look at the newsreel. So there's no dissonance between who God is and what he says and what he does at all. God is light. An example of this is Jesus. Verse 7, but if if we walk in the light as he or as Jesus walks in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Jesus walked out his life like this. John records in chapter 6 that he says, I have come down to do not my will, but the will of the Father. He lived in the light of God. He put God's will above his own. He let God define good for him, even when it was disastrous for him personally for this season of his life. God was sent 
And Jesus came and he walked out the word of God. He can be absolutely trusted, especially in times of uncertainty. So it means that there's no dissonance, but also it means this. And and this is really where it gets hard. God is dangerous. If you want to walk in the darkness, he's not safe for you. Can I tell you that? If God is light and there's no darkness in him at all, yes, there's no dissonance. We love the fact that God is holy and he's perfect and he's radiant and he's out there somewhere. But he's dangerous for those who want to remain in darkness. This darkness is always this. I need to remain in control. I need to remain the Lord of my own life. When it comes to defining good, I need to be the judge of what's good for me. If you're going to live in that world, God's light is not going to be safe for you. And here's why. Again, let the metaphor rule. Light exposes it reveals. Have you ever turned on a light in your kitchen and there were cockroaches? Yeah, everybody's done that. Don't lie. Boom, they scatter. The light is not safe. It exposes and it reveals. And it's, there's no fight between light and dark. Can I say that? The light, <laughs> the light exposes. There's no contest whatsoever. Light completely dispels darkness. As John said in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. When light shines, there's absolutely no contest. Darkness is gone. So, yes, we need to let God's light define good for us. Think of it this way. Um, The sun is good. We like the sun. There is no life on this earth without the sun. Yes? Yes? If you're careless with how you deal with the sun, you're going to get burned, literally. It's like, what, 93 million miles away? If you were able to take a a spaceship or a craft and get to the sun, um, eventually you'd burn up. It would consume you. This is God's holiness. You cannot have his love without first understanding God as light. If you want to have a relationship with God, you must know. If you want to have confidence with God, you must know that he is light. And he exposes, and he's dangerous to those that want to remain in the dark. So walking in God's light is first letting it define good in your life. So what's the controlling factor in your life when you make difficult decisions? Especially when what is good is not clear. Well, here's mine. My evaluation of what's good and what's going to make me happy. That is natural, and that is normal. And that is darkness. The instinct's not wrong. The action is because you cannot trust yourself. You are not the best judge of what is good. And if you run by the ethos, as long as you're happy, that's what matters most, you will destroy yourself. God is light. You do not have that kind of character. You need to trust Him for that. So, letting Him define good. Um, So, walking in God's light also is about letting Him direct our desire. So definition of his good is great. So we can say, yes, God defines what is good. Um, His law is built on his character. We understand that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. That's all fine and good, but this is where it gets personal. When God's light or when his law or when his desire conflicts with your desire and what you want. So hold that thought for a minute. Let's look at the progression of darkness. Because in this text, there's five conditional clauses. He said that God is light, and then he walks us through five situations that engage God's light and darkness in different ways. So let's just walk through those. Three of them are bad, and two of them are good. Uh, The first one is in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, that is God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So what he's doing, he wants to make sure that we get rid of this false 
um, this false border between what I believe and what I do. If you want to know what your convictions are or what you actually believe, look at how you live. That's what you're convinced of. You can fool your head, but you can't fool your heart. How you live um, is what you believe, period. So if he says, if you're going to claim fellowship with the living God, yet you're going to walk in darkness... Uh, you must know that you are not practicing or doing the truth. Now, in the Old Testament, which John is referring back to, the possession of knowledge is never just information. The possession of knowledge requires walking it out or practicing it. Even You even see this in Psalms, right? Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked. So it's not just attaining information or assent. Um, it's walking that out in your life. So if we claim fellowship while we walk in darkness, there's a problem. Um, boasting fellowship with God while recoiling from his light, recoiling from what his scripture says, recoiling from his people when they reach out to us. Um, that's, you're, you're, it's, you're not walking in the truth. Right? It's dangerous. Um, it would be like this. Just use marriage as an idea. It would be like telling your spouse you're late at work. Like, I have to work late this week. But what you're actually doing is you are building a relationship with another person because you like this person. And maybe you like this person better than your spouse. Friend, you are hiding in darkness. You are not living faithfully faithfully in that relationship. Uh, This is what he's telling us. Uh, Verse 8, progression of darkness ramps up a little bit. It says, if we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So it's not just that we say that we have fellowship with God. Now we're saying, you know what? That's not sin for me. I don't have sin. That's good for you, but it's not good for me. So what he's saying there is that when you do this, you are lying to yourself. And it's not the kind where you're like, oh yeah, I know this isn't probably good. You believe yourself. Your own voice becomes most plausible in your life, and then you follow it. The original language says leading yourself astray. You define a path, and you're like, this is right. This is good. This is what I want to do. This is what God would have me do. And we convince ourselves that we're right, and that this is good. Verse 10 ramps it up a little bit further. The progression of darkness is total break in fellowship. Watch this, verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, in other words, I don't even need any kind of grace. We have not sinned. We make him a liar. We make God a liar. And he is not in us. So the word that comes, the word that's revealed in the person of Christ, the word that comes to save, we have no more fellowship. There is no way, there is absolutely no way to know God personally without repentance. If you don't find yourself in a position of helplessness and you need him, not just to get through life, but for this core issue, um, you have sin that you can't do anything about. It's there. A complete break in relationship. So we're declaring God untrustworthy by how we live. So hold that. Walking in the light. What does it mean not to just let the light define what is good for us, but to start to mold our desires? We have to walk in the light. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as Jesus, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with who? With one another, that's weird, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's interesting to me, and the commentators don't really know why he does this, but John says, hey, if we're walking in the light, and the word that God gives us, we have fellowship with one another. 
wouldn't you think he would say, no, we have fellowship with God? He almost assumes that or implies that. The bottom line is that um, we, when we are rescued together, we are adopted by God through faith, we have fellowship with one another, which is the one thing that was falling apart in this church that he is writing to. Some had left um, because they're denying Christ. But when we walk in that, we have fellowship. God directs our desires together. If you think you can walk this faith out on your own, if you're going to be a lame ranger, you, friend, are walking in darkness. There is no such thing as a Christian who is not part of the family. There's no such thing as a disciple of Jesus who does not belong to the people of Jesus. It doesn't exist. You're never going to see it in church. You're never going to see it in the Bible. You're never going to see it in the New Testament or the Old Testament. So your desires will remain your desires until you let God's people into your life. This is one of the reasons why we're serious about community groups, why we're serious about the gathered assembly. So walking in the light is a corporate, not just a personal action. And unity grows as we understand in real terms our shared adoption into the body of Christ together. Um, it's directing our desires. But, well, what about me? What, what does my life look like when God's light is directing my desire? I, I'm just going to throw three things at you. Honesty. Stop concealing. The day when you can stop hiding and stop lying is the day that God has become real to you. Walking in God's light means you stop lying. I mean, it, it sound, we tell our kids not to lie, but th- this is true. You stop concealing. And you're accountable. You're not afraid of having people in your life that you're accountable to, that you have fellowship with, that you will listen to, and you're single-minded. You are willing to put God's desire above yours and actually walk it out, even in situations and circumstances where that seems like the worst idea. In fact, you'll feel fake. You have been discipled since the time you were this high to live your truth. The most important thing in your life is what makes you happy. Um, listen to this professor. His name is Eric Thanes, professor at Biola University. Think about this in light of God directing your desires. He says, there's this idea that to live out of conformity with how I feel is hypocrisy. But that's the wrong definition. He says, to live out of conformity with what I believe is hypocrisy. But to live in conformity with what I believe, in spite of how I feel, isn't hypocrisy, it's authenticity. It's integrity. Authenticity is not seated in your soul, friend. It is seated in God. So your feelings aren't the enemy, your heart is. So when we let God direct our emotions, direct our desires in his light, in his community, through his word, by the power of his spirit, you will see transformation you can't have any other way. So walking in God's light is letting it direct your desire. And also, and this is the key, you have to let God's light destroy darkness. You can't do it. Um, in seminary, I had a take-home test. And let me tell you what I had to write on this take-home test. At the end of it, I had to write, I, Jason Connor, have taken this exam in a manner that is above reproach and, okay, and pleasing to our God, hmm, who sees and knows all. That's a low blow. <laughs> I actually had, because it was a take-home test, I'm like, hmm, all right, I guess I'll put those notes away. Hmm, but I wanted to pass. All right. Um, it's impossible for you to stand in the light of God and not see that you are absolutely naked and in need. 
And when you see that, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to run and hide, Adam and Eve. Or you're going to run to him. Nobody's static. Nobody is static. When you see who God is and how he loves you and what he requires of you, if you're honest, you're naked before him and you're going to run away from him or you're going to run to him. One of two things. Um, Listen, if you're going to continue to lie, it makes love impossible. Lying just destroys love. And let me tell you why. In church, in relationships, and with God, um, you're concealing things because you're afraid of becoming someone you hate. Okay, there's that. But here's why it destroys love. Um, I'm just going to use a marriage as an example. If I'm, in a, if I'm in a marriage, which I am, and I conceal parts of my life from my spouse purposefully, I'm never going to believe that she loves me. In fact, I will refuse to receive her love for me. You know why? Because there's parts of my life she doesn't know about. So how could she love me? That's how confession works and repentance and the love of God. This is what it means to walk in the light of God. When we are not honest with ourselves, when you're not honest with God, um, you will never believe that he loves you until you absolutely are honest and confess and let his light in there. If God only knew, if God only knew, we will say that to ourselves. So verse nine is the key. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, if we say, or if we walk, if we confess, it's a different word. Confession is different. Confession is not admitting sin. You know what really irritates me when I see these public Um, apologies, and someone says, oh, well, if I offended that person, then I'm sorry. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're still fighting with them. You're contending with them. Have you ever, has anybody ever come to you and say, hey, you know, if I offended you, I'm sorry. If I offended you, what I'm basically saying is you need to get over it. That's, that is not confession. So confession isn't admitting sin. That's darkness. It's total agreement. This is what it means. Confession is total agreement with God and his word and his people. That's confession. This is why we read scripture together. This is why we read his word together. So in confession, I am saying I am in complete agreement with God's light, which is his word, with what Christ says, with what his people say. I'm confessing this. I'm owning my sin before God and others. I'm handing my sin over to God. And then I'm letting go of it. And I'm running to him helpless but convinced of his love. That is confession. There's nothing like it in the world. And it is the most amazing, freeing thing you'll ever see. Because sin isn't a knowledge problem. Sin is not about knowing better. It's 100% about bondage and blindness. It owns you. It's not breaking a rule. It's breaking a relationship with the one who made you, God the Father. Repentance gets to the core of that. So walking in God's light requires you first and foremost, because this is where your confidence is going to come from, to see this one thing. Forgiveness. He is faithful and just. If you believe that forgiveness from God is God saying, you know what, I know you tried. I know in your heart of hearts you're a good person, so I'm just going to overlook that. That, no. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. 
forgiveness is 100% completely transactional. Do you know why it's, you know, we see what John's saying. It would be unjust of God not to forgive you. Why? Because you've earned it. No, because in Christ, your sin has been dealt with. God the Father has poured out his wrath on God the Son for our sin. So yes, it would be unjust if we repent for God to say, well, I don't care. You have to pay for it again. That would make the cross nothing. So it's just. It actually secures God's righteousness, and he's faithful to do this. So your status and forgiveness is is right before God. But that's not enough. Um, my little granddaughter got bit by a copperhead last week, right? Um, I know, crazy. She's fine for the most part. Um, but she's three and she's a country girl and she doesn't wear shoes. And right now we're going to get some boots, right? Because she needs to step on snake heads. But once the fangs are out of her little wound, guess what? The poison stays and it works its way up the leg. See, Jesus doesn't just forgive you of your sin. He removes the stain and the corruption and the guilt and the shame that it produces in your life from your own personal sin and from those that sin against you. He systematically draws that poison out of your life only when you will confess, only when you will walk in the light. There is no other way. No other way. There is no other way. He will remove the sin. He will remove the arrow and also get that thing to heal. You cannot do that on your own. And that's only going to happen when you start being honest with what God is calling you to do and walking out of darkness and walking in the light and also walking in honesty together. As you confess sin, as you're honest with it and you have brothers and sisters who will walk with you, you're not going to lose. You're not going to lose. And Jesus publicly destroyed darkness. Do you know that? That is what the cross is. He took on judgment. That's why in Mark 27, it says there was darkness for three hours. That's judgment language. He took it on publicly. It would be like today, it would have been a public execution like at the Washington Monument. This wasn't done behind the scenes. Jesus was executed publicly before Rome, before everyone. And God absolutely vindicated him through the resurrection. He's overcome darkness. So will you walk in the light of God? Will you do that? Will you let it define good? Will you let it direct your desire? Will you let it destroy darkness? So as I'm reading this this week, here's the question that comes out. Where are you living in darkness? You know where it is. Where do you get hyper-emotional when somebody wants to talk about that's one thing in your life? Where do you get super defensive? Where are you living in darkness? Two sides of this lane. If you feel like you're not perfect, but in the end, you've done pretty well at life and you deserve heaven, you're in terrible danger. That's darkness. Nobody, nobody in heaven deserves it. And also the flip side, if you feel like you need to constantly hide from God and from others. And here's the reason, because there's no way God could really love you. You're in terrible danger. That's darkness, friend. You can't live in either world. 
John is going to get to this, but he's going to say that you need to understand yourself as a child of the living God. Not because of you, not because of your obedience, not taken away by your sin, but because the obedience of God, what he's done for you in the cross. That is where your confidence is. If your identity and your confidence is wrapped up in what God has done for you and you're willing to receive it, nobody can touch you. Nobody. That's what God wants for you. But you can't walk in the darkness. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you don't leave us. You don't leave us. You don't expose without giving us grace. As nauseating as it can be, Lord, to own up to sin and to let your word stand above our feelings. You never leave us without a wave of escape. Your arms are open. You're ready to receive us. You do not change. Your love is active. It is here. And you are ready to receive all of us who will repent, Lord Jesus. Would, would you help us to believe that? Help us to walk in that light. In the name of Jesus, amen.